Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies coming to you from our 2023 fall conference in Austin, Texas. Today, we're kicking off our series of general sessions and to start off the morning uh, bright and early at 8 a.m. with a pretty heavy topic talking about kind of the death of neoliberalism and hopefully not the case. But Neil Bradley, he is the chief policy officer with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Washington, D.C., and you just uh, wrapped up your talk. And thank you first for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, well-timed. I think that um, we're here in Austin when things are crazy back home. We don't have a speaker. Um, We've got a political system that seems to be just stuck in repeat. Yeah. Uh, looking at potentially a presidential election that's going to be the same thing as we saw in 2016. Um, and we have a growing partisan divide. And something that you yeah. talked about today was how that 50-year span of from laissez-faire to New Deal, from New Deal to kind of a consensus on neo neoliberal trade yeah. policies, economic policies, we're entering into a new phase. Can you go in a little bit about, you know, how you see that happening. Yeah, and just to, to set the table yeah, a little exactly. bit, if you, you know, if you go back from the 1930s to the mid-1970s, the common wisdom was that we needed a more activist, interventionist government mm-hmm. to manage markets, uh, to direct companies, mm-hmm. uh, to really help orient and, and direct the economy. Yeah. And so that led to things like uh, price controls. Mm-hmm. It led to real restrictions on how businesses could operate and how they could compete. It also uh, led to really high tax rates, punitively high tax rates. And the overall approach was one that just said, we just can't trust markets Mm -hmm. and competition. That was replaced uh, really by this kind of groundswell of a bipartisan movement that said, you know what, we want to empower businesses Mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs and markets. And we're going to let competition decide the allocation. Mm -hmm. We're going to let competition decide uh, prices. That's called neoliberalism. It's a kind of a throwback to classical Mm -hmm. liberalism, the idea of a more limited government, of greater freedom uh, for individuals and businesses to operate. That is now under attack, not just from the progressive left, but also Mm -hmm. the populist right, who want to, for often very different reasons, see a much more interventionist government. And, uh, you know, it used to be, okay, with the New Deal, as you know, going into that, you looked, okay, it was Keynesian, and then it was going to be replaced by something a little bit more, Milton Friedman, Hayek, free markets, let competition work. But where we are right now, it seems like you have the progressive left on one side, you've got the kind of protectionist right on the other. It's, but it's not, it's not back to Ken's, to John Maynard Keynes. It's something else. It's something new. And, you know, you should always, you know, that old uh, adage where, where the two, where, where the circle, where the two lines meet yeah. up. What you really have to be worried about is where this kind of government intervention gets embraced from uh, the, both the left yeah. and the right. Exactly. And, you know, listen, you're starting to see some of that today. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see some of that. Um, uh, and labor policy and mm-hmm. unionization. You're definitely seeing it already on trade. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it increasingly um, on tax policy, not so much in terms mm-hmm. of where people want tax policy to go, yeah. but not being willing to fight for tax policy that is pro-growth. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though it's it's 
you're right because it's even with the current auto worker uh, strike going on right now, you see uh, President Biden going to the strike line, but then you see Republicans coming to the strike line too. The messages that they're sharing are pretty inter inter interlinked. They are. Yeah. And you made the point of saying, well, you know, it's one thing to have a couple of think tanks come out with some ideas, but you're seeing some what used to be traditional, for example, heritage and heritage. But I remember when I was still on the Hill, heritage action kind of pivoted yeah. and they took some um, approaches that were kind of like, well, this is not exactly market based. This right. is a little bit more at the heavy hand of government yeah. controlling exactly what markets do. Um, you know, what's the concern from the chamber's point of view of this growing past the kind of, I guess, small, you know, you have the Progressive Caucus, of course, in the, in the House Democrats, and you have the Freedom Caucus on the right-hand side, but do you think it's going to grow into the middle? Well, I think that's what we're concerned about, yeah. right, is that you begin to see that the traditional kind of guardrails mm -hmm. that have protected free enterprise guardrails on the Democratic and on the Republican yeah. side are giving way. And as more um, as they give way, you have more people who kind of ascribe to those views. I think one way to think of it is people on both the left and the right politically mm -hmm. um, want to see business and and markets reflect their preferred outcomes and yes. preferred policies. Yeah. And that's not the way that that markets work. Exactly. Right? You know, yeah. sometimes. Um, it turns out that what I prefer mm -hmm. personally maybe isn't what consumers prefer mm -hmm. or isn't universally what consumers prefer. And so that's all of a sudden, rather than becoming a benefit of markets, yep. that markets find and serve consumers, it's all of a sudden become a, um, a, a negative yeah. that, that somehow we have to direct businesses towards political mm -hmm. ends. And so I often tell folks... Um, I like Coke products. Yeah. When I was growing up, um, Coke introduced new, new Coke. New Coke, yes. New Coke was horrendous. Yep. It was awful. Yep. I mean, it was insane yep. that they destroyed a 100-year-old brand by introducing this stuff Absolutely. that nobody liked. But I never thought once for a second that it was somehow the role of government to preserve classic Coke. Exactly. It was a role for markets. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it turned out that lots of people like me didn't like new Coke. And it went away. And it went just away. Just like Crystal Pepsi, just like every other attempt at a new product. And so you know, markets yeah. work. Yeah. Now, they don't always work to my preferred outcomes. Mm -hmm. I see companies all the time who are doing things that I'm like, gosh, I personally don't mm -hmm. agree with that. Yeah. But I trust in markets to make those mm -hmm. decisions, not yeah, government. Not government. Now, one of the issues, of course, that we're talking about a lot here. Um, and it's going to be a focus when we come back and, and start advocating um, after the conference's R&D, the five-year amortization requirement. And you made a good point, you know, for those who don't watch the Hill as closely as we do, it, it, things happen. Policy is passed with the tentative tacit agreement that, hey, this isn't going to work but we're going to address it when it comes back around. We got to do it to get the agreement to make this happen, right? That's exactly what happened with the five-year amortization requirement. In a normal world, both sides will come back and fix it. But because of the polarization and entrenchment that you described, 
the status quo is not going to work. And what can people out there, our members, business owners, chamber members, how should they approach this in this new environment to try to get this bad policy fixed? Yeah, let me double down on how we got to this this point, right? So 2017, not that long ago, Mm -hmm. six years ago, uh, when this policy was put in place with a delayed effective date. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was done because they were trying to make some budget numbers work, given the budgetary process on Capitol Hill. With the full acknowledgement from Republicans and Democrats that no one actually wanted it to take effect, that everyone agreed it was bad policy Mm -hmm. and that we would fix it later. And I think that was actually a reasonable conclusion Mm -hmm. in 2017. But it shows you how quickly the world is shifting, that we're now in a place in which Frankly, uh, Democrats look at it, and it's not that they're opposed to fixing mm-hmm. it, but they don't want to fix it until these other priorities. Yeah, they're are not addressed. incentivized to do it. And on the Republican side, they look at it and say, "Well, I'd like it fixed too, but I'm not really willing to negotiate something mm-hmm. significant to get the support that's necessary in divided government to yeah. get it done." So what's happened is, is, is it's not that anyone now thinks it's good policy; mm-hmm. they're just not focused enough. Mm-hmm. or they're not prioritizing it enough mm-hmm. to actually do the work to, to make it happen, get it to get it done. Which leads to your question, mm-hmm. what, can, what can we do? Listen, we have to change legislators, elected officials' priorities. Yeah. We have to describe for them the real-world consequences of what is going on. We have to remind them that we're not really interested mm-hmm. in their preferred solution. Yeah. We're interested in a solution that gets the job done. I'm reminded of a lot of conversations we had before we got the infrastructure built up. Mm-hmm. And um, like ACEC, we'd have groups going in talking to lawmakers. Mm-hmm. And you never, very rarely, almost never, did you find anyone who said, well, I'm against an infrastructure. Yeah, no, no, no one ever said that, no. But what they would say is, well, I have my plan. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a United States senator. I have my plan. And if everyone would just agree with me, we could get this great infrastructure mm-hmm. built up. I had heard that for so many years, as I know you all had had, yep. too. That I finally got really frustrated. And it's like, you're one of 100. Mm-hmm. Your plan, with no one else's support, doesn't do anything to help yeah. us get an infrastructure bill done. Mm-hmm. So until you're willing to tell us how you're going to find compromises with mm-hmm. other senators that can lead us to a bill that can become law, yeah. don't tell me you're pro-infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Because what you have is a piece of paper that's not worth anything mm-hmm. when it comes to the real world of building things and getting stuff done. Yep. And I think in some ways we have to be a little bit that angry about it. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to hear about people's plans for fixing R&D amortization. Yeah. What I want to know is what are you willing to do? How are you willing to compromise mm-hmm. so that we can get something done in divided government yeah. that fixes a real problem yeah. for companies? Yeah, and I think that our CEO made that point in her remarks opening the general session that, you know, it used to be, we're from Washington, we're here to help. Now we need you to come and tell us. It's not the, the, it's not the theoretical. We need to know that this is going to bankrupt your business. This is going to put you under. And at a time when you pass the largest infrastructure investment in American history, don't hamstring the designers putting them out of business when you expect them to do the work to actually pay off on the on the reinvestment that you made. So that's a call to action for our members. So if you're out there, call your congressman. Uh, 
join us, sign up, go to our advocacy platform and, and, and put a letter into your members of Congress because it's critical that they hear from you because you live this every day. I, I remember when I was on TNI committee with Chairman Schuster, it was the same thing. Everybody's got a plan. Everybody's got a solution. How much you want to raise the gas tax by? What's about the highway trust fund? And that idea of a comprehensive infrastructure bill was always out there. And I never thought we were going to get there. So I was amazed after I left when we actually got to the point where we passed the bill. But it took, I think it took that, you know, well, COVID did a lot, but I mean, it, it took that kind of desire to kind of break compromise and, and bring people together to actually get something done. So it's possible. It's not easy, but that's why, that's why we're here. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And, you know, if you think back to that infrastructure bill, it's amazing how it came down to a few key members. Yes. If you think about the U.S. Senate, mm -hmm. that bill is a result of 10 Republican senators and 10 Democratic senators yep. getting together and saying, we're, we're tired of the excuses. Let's come mm -hmm. up with a deal. Yeah. And it got to the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. and it came down to about a dozen Democrats yeah. who said, we're not going to let this be held hostage mm -hmm. to a bigger, what became the Inflation Reduction yes. Act. Yeah. And then 13 Republicans, Republicans who broke ranks and actually broke went, ranks. Yeah. So it's remarkable. But in a Congress of 535 uh, elected officials, mm -hmm. it's possible. It was t less than 10 percent. Yeah, less than 10. Yeah. Who were the deciding factors, which is why, you know, the work that um, ACEC does, mm -hmm. the, 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 the political program, the mm -hmm. advocacy, reaching into those offices is so important. Yeah. Because we need those champions. Yeah, exactly. Because those that that small group of people can can actually lift mountains. That's right. If 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 they're put in the right position and they're incentivized enough to do it. Um, Neil, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great presentation. Great way to kick off the conference. Uh, hopefully things get a little bit more sane. Hopefully we have a speaker. That would be nice. Um, but uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, October and November in Washington. I, I suspect it's going to be uh, an interesting few years. Yes, exactly. So again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you next time. <laughs>